other for a number of years. Recently, my family and I moved back to Texas after being away for quite a while. We've moved back to San Antonio. Most recently, I served a church up in Silver Spring, Maryland for about the past 10 years, but we are glad to be back in Texas now. A few weeks ago, Martin called me and asked if I would fill in today for this service, and so I worked some things out with another church that I was helping out at and said, yeah, sure, I'd, I'd be happy to be with you all at Bethany today. Just send me over uh, the sermon topic when you get a chance. And I waited a couple days, didn't get anything, so I decided to just check in, get to know you all a little bit better by watching the Sunday service from February 6th, and uh, then I realized what the sermon topic was going to be for today. We're in the Song of Solomon. And so I quickly wrote an email to Martin and said, so what verses do you have for me to read today from the Song of Solomon? Because this could get a little bit awkward and you guys and I don't know each other all that well. But he was kind to me and kind to us. We actually have some great verses to look at in this book of the Bible today. If you've been following along, you know that the Song of Songs, or the Song of Solomon, is a love song in the Old Testament of the Bible. And as we look into that, we find an exchange, a dialogue between two people. Sometimes they're listed as she and he, or the bride and the groom. And at this point in the story where we are today, uh, we're going to find these two people are at the time of their wedding, and it's almost as if they're sharing vows with each other. So they're expressing to one another what they think about each other, how they feel about each other, the affection that they have, and it involves a lot of things revolving around beauty. You are so beautiful. And they say that with fairly colorful language, as we will see as we dive into this this morning. First, we have his adoration, the groom's adoration of his bride. And we see what he has to say about her. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil, and your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. So I tried that verse on my wife on Valentine's Day this last week. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. And she just sort of looked at me funny after that. He goes on to say, your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its twin, not one of them is alone. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon, your mouth is lovely, your temples behind your veil are like halves of a pomegranate. So good, colorful language there as he describes to her his feeling of affection for her, what he feels about her, uh, the ways that he likes her, the things that he likes about her. And then if we move forward a little bit into chapter 5, we find her response to him. She says, My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. His head is the finest gold and his locks are wavy, black as a raven. His legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold, and his appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. 
So I was thinking, you know, guys, which of us wouldn't want our beloved to describe us this way? His legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold. You see, the next time you get a compliment as good as that. We find this language here, this love song, this love story between these two people, and it is a little bit strange for us today. We don't talk like this. We don't use this type of language. Of course, we can see that they are using examples of the things that were in their world, everyday things, especially out in nature, in creation that they saw, and used those words to describe their affection for each other. We have it a little bit easier today because we can just run to the store and grab a pre-written Valentine's Day card and put our signature at the bottom of it and hand it to our loved one and say, here you go, and our job is done. But I hope that what we can see with this section of scripture, with this love song, is that this is a good thing. It's good to express love and appreciation of beauty. These two people are making a commitment to each other in their relationship. They're making vows to each other and what their future will be like together and they're expressing affection and love for one another. This is a good thing in and of itself. It is good to admire beauty in the world as we see it and often that should be in other people. And and not not just husbands and wives or spouses, but we can look at other people in the world, other relationships we have, and I imagine we can think of ways that we are thankful for those people, the relationships that we have in our lives, what those people mean to us, and how good it is to find ourselves surrounded by people who care for us. This is good. And it extends beyond that as well, because we have the reminder here that God's creation, all of the world, the things in this world, were created by God to be good, to be enjoyed. If you go back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis, you find the creation story. And what we see there is that God creates all things that are in existence, and each day goes by, and God looks and says, and it is good. Creation is beautiful and meant for enjoyment, but then getting to the sixth day, God creates humankind, Adam and Eve, in the garden in perfection, and looks at them and says, now, this is very good. We find that they are created in the image of God, and that humankind is created to be good, to be beautiful, that love might be expressed, and we are people made for relationships, made to live in community. All of this is good. But at the same time as we approach this topic of beauty, of considering ourselves and who we are as people, whether or not we are beautiful, if we would use that word to describe ourselves, or thinking about our relationships with other people. Sometimes there's, there's stuff that sneaks in there. A little bit of this edge comes up with things. It's not always easy to live in relationship with others. It's not always easy to live in relationship with ourselves, if we're being honest. So let me show you what I mean for just a minute. Uh, so this is a picture... Uh, that my wife took a couple weeks ago. We had the opportunity to travel out to Big Bend National Park and spent the weekend there. It was our first time in Big Bend. 
And it's a really beautiful place, spectacular in many ways. You have the desert floor and uh, the unique desert plants that are out there, sort of the barrenness, but there's a beauty to that. And then out of nowhere, the Chisos Mountains just sort of rise up. And especially at sunrise or sunset, you just get this beautiful glow on the mountains. It's, it's an awe-inspiring place to be. And I bet for many of us, if we were dropped into nature in a place like that, and then just took a minute, stopped everything else we were doing, and looked around, we would have that sense of beauty. We would sense the beauty and the awe that is there, that is written into creation. It is beautiful. We don't always take time to acknowledge it, to see it, to spend time in it, and allow it to sink in. But this world is beautiful, and I bet most of us would agree on that. Now, if we were to take another step, and if I was to put up here, I'm not going to, but if I was to put up here a picture of a person, just somebody you don't know, just a person, and then ask you the question, well, are they beautiful? How would we answer that? And I'm guessing that might get a little bit more sticky, a little bit more complicated, because we might say, well, are they beautiful compared to what? Or compared to who? I mean, I could see maybe their society's definition of beauty, but you know, it's, it's always changing. We might say, compared to me, are they beautiful compared to me? That's what might sneak into our minds. We might start actually thinking about ourselves. This topic gets complicated. If we're having a good day, we might, we might be nice and think, well, yeah, of course, they're beautiful. All of, uh, all of humankind is beautiful. We remember what we just, what we just heard, that you know, made in the image of God, and so all people are beautiful in and of themselves, uh, even though we all look different. We might be able to go there. Let's take one more step. Now, what if I asked you to get your phone out and put it up in front of you, turn on the camera, and look into it uh, with the screen facing you and the camera on you. Now is the person in here beautiful? Are you beautiful? And again, it gets complicated. Uh, some days we might say, yeah, yeah, I, I feel pretty good about myself, today, about myself today. But there might be other days where we just really struggle with that whole topic. We don't want to look in the mirror. We don't want to think about it. And we do tend to fluctuate back and forth between these two poles, sometimes feeling probably too good about ourselves, better than we should, and at other times not feeling good about ourselves at all. And if you throw that word beautiful in there or beauty in there and we have to think about that, that's a challenge. So what's the reason for this? I mean, we know the reason for this, I'm sure, but, but if God created this world to be beautiful, if humankind is made to be beautiful and in the image of God, why is this so hard for us? What's our struggle here? Well, we know that the reality is sin has gotten in the way. Sin creeps into every part of our lives and especially our relationships with each other and our relationship with ourselves. Sin creeps in and, and ends up causing brokenness and challenges and feelings like pride or selfishness and at other times jealousy or envy. The Bible talks a lot about this. If you again go back to Genesis and think about 
the creation story, Adam and Eve, they were placed in the garden to live in perfect harmony with one another and with creation. They had everything they needed. But then when the part about the fruit comes up and they eat from the fruit and we know that sin has entered their lives, what is the very next thing they do? They run and they hide. They hide from each other, they hide themselves from each other, and they hide from God. Right away, sin causes the feeling of shame, of uncertainty, of not being sure how I feel about myself or knowing, really, in their case, I don't deserve to be in the presence of God. I can't stand before God. I know that I'm broken. So sin has gotten in the way, and this is, this is the reality we live with. That's why it is so hard. That's why it is such a challenge to live alongside one another well in any of our relationships. So then maybe the next question is, well, what do we do about this? And I would suggest that there's probably a lot of ways that we try to answer this problem that aren't the best ways, or at least not the lasting ways. So sometimes we go longing for affirmation. We want someone or something to tell us that we are good, that we are worthy, or maybe that we are beautiful at times. And you know, Instagram is really helpful with this because if you are feeling pretty good about yourself one day, you can take a picture and post it up there and you know, look at me. Or if you don't want to put yourself out there, maybe you have cute pets or kids running around and you can take a picture of them and put that out there on Instagram. Or maybe you're on that vacation to that beautiful place and you can put that out there and, hey, look at me. Look where I am. Look how good things are for me today. And the next thing that happens is we get those likes that affirmation. Other people knowing and seeing and saying, oh yeah, I like that. You are, you do look good. You are doing well. That is, that is good for you. That sense of affirmation, we do go looking for this in various places in our lives, but of course the problem with Instagram and so many other things like that is it's fleeting. It won't last. A uh, couple hours go by, better put something else out there. A couple days go by, better put something else out there. I'm needing that sense of that affirmation. So this is one of the ways that we try to solve this problem. Another one is that we just simply want to be chosen, to know we are chosen. And this is good, it's not a bad thing. But we want other people to choose us. We want to know that other people have chosen us, to be a part of a family, to be a part of a group, to be connected to people in one way or another. We want to know that we have our tribe, our people around us, and maybe one of the ways that we see this in the world is a marriage relationship. Two people who are actively choosing each other. And when that happens, we even come together and we celebrate it as a community. Saying this is good. These two people are there for each other, making promises to each other. They are choosing each other. And this is worthy of our celebration. And it is. That's a good thing, and that's what we find here in the Song of Songs. This story is exactly that, two people choosing each other. But one of the things that I always remind people when I officiate weddings is that if you take one imperfect person and another imperfect person and you put them together, it's not going to create a perfect marriage. 
just not. It doesn't happen that way. There's no magic that takes place on that day, in that moment, when you join together that's going to make your relationship suddenly perfect forever. Even though we're told by society to, to think, well, they complete me, or they make me a better person, or they're my everything. There's some truth in some of that, but if we really put all of that on the other person, if we really think the other person's job now is to make us happy and do the things that we want them to do, that's going to lead us down a bad road eventually. So we want to be chosen, and we see an example of that here in Song of Songs, but I think, in fact, that it's pointing us to an even higher version of this, a greater version of this. We could call it the ultimate love. We want to be chosen by the ultimate love. And this is our God. This is the one who has created us. This is the one who has made us in his very image and now calls us his children. I think this is what we really long for. And the good news of it is that it's different from every other relationship in this world because it's not temporary, it's not temporal, it's not fleeting. But God's love is perfect. God's love is good in every sense of the word. God's love is lasting. And God's love also doesn't depend on what we do, what we bring to the table, whether or not we've earned it or deserved it. God's love is different than that. That's why it's the ultimate love. It, it is better than any other expression of love that we have in this world. And we find the greatest example of that in what God has done for us in sending his son Jesus Christ into the world. He came to show us, to show us who God is, to show us God's love. And he did it actually by emptying himself for us, by taking the punishment of death that we deserved, going to the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. There's a passage in Isaiah that always takes my breath away when we read it, and a lot of times uh, during the season of Lent before Easter, that verse comes up, and it is a prophecy. So it's in the Old Testament, but it's talking about Jesus, the Messiah, who would come, and it says, there was no beauty or majesty within him that we should desire him. That's what it says about Jesus. No beauty or majesty in him that we should desire him. And it might seem strange at first because we think about Jesus and, I mean, we'd like to think that if we were there with the crowds in his day, we would be following him as well. We'd be one of the disciples. We'd be there at his side because it would have been great to be there. He's working miracles. He's doing wonderful things for the people. But what that verse is actually talking about, no beauty or majesty within him to attract us to him, is that there would come a time when he would completely empty himself and pour himself out. In a sense, he became unbeautiful for us when he willingly went to the cross. He gave himself to us. And the ultimate expression of love, the one who has given us everything, and did that in order that we might be able to once again stand before our God and know that it's okay. That we might know that we are forgiven. We have been forgiven. We've seen Jesus work for us. We've seen that Jesus has accomplished it. It is done. As he said, it is finished. And that's all that's needed. We simply come and stand in that love. And that's the good news is we just get to be there and receive it and hold on to it. And that Jesus has done it all for us. 
As we go through this book of the Old Testament, that's what it's all pointing to. Yes, we have an earthly story of earthly love, but it's also meant to, to show us something even beyond, greater, that we really need and that can change our lives. Because now, I'm not just living in earthly relationships, now I'm in relationship with my God and this changes things. Now I know I am loved completely by God and this frees me to go just love other people and not worry about it so much and not worry about who I am quite as much because I know I'm, uh, I'm freed by what Jesus has done. Uh, even the sins uh, that keep coming up, we know that these things are forgiven and covered over. In Revelation chapter 19, we get a picture of what this looks like finally. On the last day, as people are united before God, uh, as people are united in the heavenly realm and the new heavens and the new earth, and what this looks like and the celebration that takes place. It says there, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, the Lamb being Jesus, and his bride has made herself ready And the bride is the church. That is us. We have been made ready for this marriage feast to stand beside the Lamb and to know that fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her, the bride, to wear. We are covered over. We didn't bring this garment. We didn't cover ourselves. Jesus has done it for us. Now we just get to enjoy being in that place, being able to live as God's people. And so really this, uh, this section of scripture, this book is showing us all of this and now sending us out, yes, to live our relationships here in this world to the fullest, loving one another, but doing so with forgiveness, with mercy, because we know we have been shown forgiveness and mercy. And we're invited now to live as God's people. You join me in a word of prayer. Jesus, our Lord, on this day, as we are reminded of of the grace that comes from knowing you, of hearing this good news, we give you our thanks and our praise. We do at times struggle with this idea of beauty, but Lord, we ask that you would free us from this, this challenge, that we would simply be able to live for you, to live as your people, to know that we are beautiful because you have called us beautiful. You have made us beautiful. We are made in the image of God. Let us live into that image today, knowing that we are God's children, that we would live in good relationships with one another, bringing mercy and forgiveness into the world around us. We give thanks today for all that you have done on our behalf and for this good news that Jesus has come, giving his life and trade for us, that we might be your people. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.